podcasts. It's so easy to podcasts. All alone in your podcasts with your days in the sun. Uh, welcome to Podcasts, the pod about cats. I am uh, TV's Kevin Lanigan, and uh, across from uh, across the Skype is uh, Katie Lassiter. Hello. Do you do Hello. that for all of the shows? Do you sing an introduction for all of them? Because I enjoyed that massively. I have been doing it on uh, all the all the episodes where we cover a particular song. I've been doing a little a little pastiche, a little a little it. Weird Al parody uh, of the <laughs> of the song Europe. But we're about to uh, dive into extensively. The, the long talked about, by far the most famous song from the show, um, probably the episode, the, the song that everyone's like, why didn't you start the show with this yeah. one? <laughs> why did you wait for six episodes to get to the centerpiece of the show? Um, and I didn't want to come out of the gate swinging quite so hard. Uh, <laughs> I didn't want to cause a division in the Ravenous Podcasts fan base right off the bat of course Um, not because i'm sure you and i are about to have some opinions i have uh, so many opinions about this song about the song memory so talk to me uh briefly (sighs) what is what is your history if any with the broadway musical cats i have a storied history with this musical so when i was a child back in the 90s (laughs) This goes way uh-huh. back. Uh, I was only nineties on, kids will understand. Only nineties kids will understand this story. No, this has nothing to do with the nineties. But uh, I had a VHS player, and one of the only VHS tapes that my sisters and I ever wanted to watch was the Cats VHS tape from nineteen seventies, which we owned for some unfathomable reason. Nobody in my family likes this musical. My parents notoriously hate it. They would complain endlessly anytime we asked to put it on which apparently was often and um i memorized the musical back in front i know it so so well and i hate it i hate it with every ounce of my being but as a kid because it was just you know cats dancing around i guess we loved it because we didn't know any better because we were like oh people in costumes and dancing and fun lights but Looking back on it as an adult, I want to die, and I think it explains a lot of my mental illnesses. The fact that I've read, watched this musical so many fucking times as a child. Um, so, memory used to be the part that we always fast-forwarded through, because it's also the one song that doesn't have any ridiculous dancing in it. And I will say, that one of the redeeming qualities of this musical is the dancing. It's really fun to watch. It's a spectacle, you know? Uh, And when you go to see a Broadway show, people like spectacle. They like to see people do crazy things with their bodies that they know that they can never do. So they want to watch somebody else do it so that they don't have to be depressed all the time and wonder why the human body is so limited. But (laughs) no, it's just your body. It's just it's somebody else's body is great. (laughs) Exactly. exactly. (laughs) But it's It's only your. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. uh, memory is one of the most boring parts uh, for a kid to watch. So we would always fast forward through it. So I didn't know the song that well. 
uh, until I was in like high school when I started actually getting like really into Broadway stuff because I wanted to actually perform for a living. That worked out really well. Um, I am not currently a performer for a living, but um, <laughs> who is like seven people are. I think it's the same seven people, and they all just undergo extensive plastic surgery anytime we think that there's more than seven people. Right. I think there's a series of masks. I think that there are seven performers, and they are Brad Pitt, uh, Ray Fiennes, sure. uh, Chiwetel Ejiofor, Meryl Streep, Amy Adams. Absolutely. Uh, Laura Bonanti and, uh, Jasmine Cephas Jones. And everybody else is them in a mask or under some kind of, uh, ridiculous makeup setup. That makes perfect sense to me and I'm not gonna question it at all. Please don't anyone, uh, check this out. Also, please no one demand that I make a chart of that. I've already made far (laughs) too many charts for this show. I can prove it, I just choose not to. I'm gonna need to see some of those charts, but anyway, so this song, um, as a kid I just thought it was boring, boring, and now I just think it's abysmal as an adult. (laughs) It is the worst ballad, the worst power ballad, if you will, ever written. It is, first of all, if you look at the story of the song, it makes absolutely no sense whatsoever because everyone in this musical absolutely despises Grizabella who sings this song hate her they will not let a bitch live she comes out and they all are like just slut shaming her to oblivion at least I think they're supposed to be slut shaming her I'm not sure it's been a really long time since I've read any T.S. Eliot poetry so so Grizabella is was was formerly one of the Jellicle cats. The dear little cats are our posse that we follow around uh, for the of show. Course. I of course uh, did my did my research on uh, rap genius, and um, what what happened is at some point she left the Jellicle cats. Um, she was formerly you know like a like a prissy fancy glamour cat, um, but now she's old. Um, even though she's not one of the characters generally played by an older person in Cats, not a almost not an old, ever, not an old Deuteronomy or a Gus the Theater Cat, but she is supposed to be comparably old to those two. But I guess when you're right. co- comparably old, you can't hit the notes you need to hit for memory. You can't like hit an E flat. Um, mm. Yes, but she has left the the tribe. Um, and because of that, she is ousted. It's like the movie The Big Sick, where Kumail Nanjiani decides to not marry a uh, a uh, uh, someone that his parents want him to marry, and goes off to marry the white girl, and, and he has been banished from the family, and can no longer communicate with anybody in the family. That has happened to Grisbella, a Big Sick scenario, if you will. Um, right. But now, near the end of her life, she's coming back, and she's not having a good way. She's she's gnarled. She's grizzly. Um, she's always made up like a crackhead lunatic. Like she Grizabella really always looks like someone uh, who is asleep on the subway when you find them. She um, looks like someone who tried to do like a drag queen look, 
but with their eyes closed and using their non-dominant hand. There's an episode of The Simpsons where Homer invents a makeup gun that you can fire at a woman's face and it's supposed to put the makeup on, but it just makes a horrible (laughs) smeared mess. That's Grizabella. She is a victim of the Homer Simpson makeup gun. She's... Just, she's a mess. She's a real she's mess. A, she's a hot mess. So uh, right, but that is the story time, of memory. Yeah. The first time that I ever actually like sat down and, and watched memory all the way through, I thought she was supposed to be a prostitute, a la Fontaine in Les Mis, dying of consumption because I mean, of what her makeup looked like. It's essentially the same idea. Like this song fills the same role that I dreamed a dream would fill. But I Dreamed a Dream in every capacity is a much better song. Good lord. The, I mean, the way it stacks, sound, the way it builds. You don't sound like a dying cat when you try to sing a, I Dreamed a Dream, hopefully. Uh, but even truly, truly skilled performers, I listen to memory and I'm just like, I hate this. This is terrible. Human voices should not be doing these things. Yes. Uh, it is not... It's not good. Um, it's it's really, and this is our great controversial take, and I'm glad we're both on the same page, because when I announced yes. this show, you messaged me, and you say, I have so many thoughts about memory, and I'm like, great, <laughs> it's yours. <laughs> um, and for whatever reason, I did look it up, and there is indeed a Glee rendition of memory. Nobody oh, worry. Nobody worry. It did happen. It's not who you think it would be. It's not, it's not Rachel. It's Kurt. Uh, for all of you mm. gleeks out there. But it's... So So would you define this kind of song as the ballad? That's its role in Cats and other similar shows? I think so. It comes at a weird point in the show for it to be the ballad, I think. Because it's kind of towards the end, if I remember correctly. There's a little hint. There's like a one-minute version in Act 1 um, following up, like the introduction of Grizabella, which is sung by, like, Taylor Swift and somebody else. Um, And then, right, it's, like, two songs before the end, we get Memory, Uh, which is an odd... Because that's your 11 o'clock number, right? That's where you're supposed to be, like, the last dramatic action is about to be undertaken. But this being cats a completely like genre and form defying uh, 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 leviathan that it is um celebrating its most successful week uh of its entire lifetime this week congratulations cats um nothing has ever surprised me more i it's that the trailer caused a big resurgence and also you know like inflation has made ticket prices go up so i think it's not the heyday That's... that it was in 89. Okay. But, but that makes it... more sense if they but didn't yes. account for inflation. Because I thought they accounted for inflation when I first saw that article come out. And I was like, you've got to be fucking kidding me. It's biggest that people money went money. Out. People doubt me on this show. I keep saying Cats is going to be big. This movie is going to make a ton of money. And people say no. People tell me that I'm crazy. That this movie is going to fall flat on its face. No Oscars. No money. I say no. I say we've been through this dance too many times. Cats is going to make $250 million. 
maybe worldwide, but I'm going to say 250 domestic, and somebody's oh going God. home with Oscar gold. Someone is. The Academy loves Tom Hooper. They love whatever weird shit he brings to them, like a cat bringing in, like a dead bird <laughs> that it found. And it's like, for you. And all of his movies go home with Oscar gold. Uh, King's Speech, Les Mis, Danish Girl. He's on a fucking streak. And this movie is going to destroy. And I think, because he always wins an acting Oscar of some kind... It's gonna be Jennifer Hudson performing Memory. It has to be. I that, There's no doubt in my mind. That won't bother me if he wins some kind of special effects Oscar. I will kill myself. You heard Don't. it here first. Hey, but let's, Okay. <laughs> let's, let's walk that back about two steps. Just as your friend, please. I, I've already decided I have the suicide note ready to go. I just, I can't abide by any of the special effects in this movie, but the acting, I will say, could be good. I'm trying to withhold judgment here, because is it motion capture that they used to capture the people yeah. in this? They used motion know. capture, and then they borrow their face parts for use on these full-body cat men that they have created. Um, Delightful. Right. As God intended. Indeed. Um, you've so got that's some, fine. You've got some A-list talent on that cast. Really? And, yeah. And the Academy also knows that this is one of their last chances to give something to Dench, to give something to Ian McKellen. If this, this is what they get, then that is upsetting. Now, Judy's had it before. Judy, Judy has been awarded, but we're, unfortunately, and I hate to be the one to break this to everybody, Judy Dench is not an ageless troll gremlin. She will die at some point, <laughs> and the Academy is keenly aware of this and are longing to give her, like, one last, you know, like Christopher Plummer for all the money in the world, just, like, one last... All right, you've done it. Your an Oscar not representing a performance, but a career. And right. Ian, as far as I know, has never won an Oscar. Um, I don't believe so either. Which seems crazy. So That's I criminal. I wouldn't count him out either because they love giving you the Tommy Lee Jones in the Fugitive. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You've been around. You've done the thing. Here's an Oscar. Whether or not this performance was your best work, right? Yeah, it's it's really fun. Award shows are great, and Love they make em. lots of sense. Love them. Always right. That's the thing, is that the Oscars get it right 100% of the time. Every time. Yes. I've never disagreed a single time. Yeah. I'm looking at pictures of our girl Grizabella off to the side of Rap Genius, and she looks like... Um, like a, plot, a dropped plot line from Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. She looks like Carol Kane... Uh, is <laughs> was on like a oh. week long bender. That's what I'm seeing. But like a week long bender. I'm pulling that. That up she right passed now. through a children's Halloween <laughs> uh, uh, right. ceremony where they were like putting cat makeup on people, like face paint. It's not a good look. It's really quite upsetting in a lot of ways. Gra I see. Isabella looks like your mom's least favorite aunt. <laughs> She you know? really does. She <laughs> looks like someone that I don't want 
to speak to, much less listen to, for the five and a half minutes that this song is. Far. This song is five and a half minutes long. I could have sworn on my life that it is like ten minutes long. It feels every second of the ten minutes that it isn't. Um, this is a commonality that we are finding with cats across the board, is that every song is too long. Uh, even the good ones. And there are many that are bops, that are bangers, that slap, that whip, that fuck. We are... It, it is too long. It's every so song could lose 90 seconds and be a better song for it. This song could probably lose the entire bridge there are two really uh both times that she goes into this very weird minor situation where other cats are joining her in song when she's like burnt out ends of smoky days and it doesn't fit in the song at all it just feels like halloween all of a sudden that could go from this song and i would still hate it but i'd hate it marginally less and it would be shorter now i i i have uh i have copy pasted uh this song into microsoft word and for a five and a half minute song there are 200 words total not like unique words. There are 200 words, which is not enough words. It's really not. There's like also it, an optional verse in this that I have never heard in my life. Uh, yes, there's an optional verse and everyone opts out of it. Everyone I mean, it's, it's uh, terrible. says, mm, never mind. <laughs> it's, well, it's, it literally reads like like children's poetry, which is technically what it's based on, but... For a show-stopping 11 o'clock number, the fact that these lyrics are so simplistic and so short, I don't think there's a single word in here that's less than, or that's more than four syllables. Um, Memory is the longest word in this song. There is a lyric where she says, every street lamp seems to beat a fatalistic warning. So fatalistic is probably the most intense word in there, and it really don't fit the vibe of it's, anything else. It, it it She starts painting a, a stage picture for us, uh, like, halfway through the song. Um, it's, well, because this is, because uh, uh, we all know that most of these songs are based on Old Possum's Book of Jellical Cats or whatever the fuck. Of course. T. S., some T.S. Eliot nonsense. This is not from that collection. Memory not being a song that just describes a cat's whole deal, like every other song in this show, is taken from another separate collection of T.S. Eliot poetry hmm. um, called just Rhapsody on a Windy Night. Oh, I like that. It That's sounds... better than the entire song. Yeah. Rhapsody on a Windy Night, uh, which is like some, sounds like a forgotten play. Some unpublished Tennessee Williams work that we'll uncover from his grave in St. Louis, Missouri. Uh, St. Louis, <laughs> but he uh, hated. He, he's Wonderful. buried in a place he hates. I'm here in Kansas City, so that is very good to know that when this movie comes out, I can go visit his grave if I want to. 
I'm a mere, a mere four hours pilgrimage. Gonna gonna lay a poster for cats on Tennessee Williams' grave and mystify all passersby as to why someone would do that. Why I think someone... that would be making an ultimate statement about the futility of, of your art. This is very nihilistic. I'm in a very weird mood today You're gonna for s- this podcast. <laughs> That's all right. Uh, Podcats is a strange place. Oftentimes, these episodes get very frank about uh, sex. This time, we're getting very frank about um, depression, about futility, which feels apropos. I feel like it's probably because I listened to this damn song like eight times today at work. I have been dreading covering this episode. For weeks, because I knew I would have to listen to memory like five times in a day. Oh my god. Bad song. Oh, it's just so bad. From a musician's standpoint, too, it is just unpleasant for so many reasons. It's nothing interesting. It sounds like the the Broadway ballad that would come with like... that would be an automatic setting on your piano, and it would just bang out this song really quickly. <laughs> oh in my the same, god! In the same way, you can turn it on like a metronome. You could turn on like memory. It's just the most basic, boring, inessential version of a song that is in every Broadway show. You can go to any Broadway show, mm-hmm. and there will, at some point in its runtime. A one woman will come out and sing a ballad. Um, in Les Mis, it happens two times. <laughs> um, Only two? Are you uh, sure? Uh, 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 on my own, and <laughs> I dreamed a dream. Are specifically I guess what I'm talking two. about. Yeah, um, I guess Marius is there when. Uh, oh, what's her name? Damn it, Cosette? Casanova. Um, uh, Eponine. No, the other one. Uh, Eponine. Cosette. Uh, Cosette. Okay, Cosette, yes. Yeah, uh, she has her moment where she's like, Father, why don't you let me be a woman? But I guess he's with her when she's singing that. And Cosette's big number is uh, Castle on a Cloud. Yes, it uh, is. Which does not Every woman's dream is to sing that song. Yeah, everyone's role. Everyone loves it. Um, And then every every little girl wants to grow up to play Gavroche, because it's always a little girl. Um, But yes, this is the... And it's Burn in Hamilton... We could go down the line. There's one of these, and in the Heights, there's just a ballad like this in every Broadway show. It's the audition number. Again, if you are hosting musical auditions and you are listening to this, I'm sorry, you're gonna start hearing this song a lot. We yeah, thought we are. were done. <laughs> we thought it was over. We, you know, these things come in ebbs and waves. You know, Defying Gravity was it for a while. Oh, God And then almighty. Burn was it for a while. When the Hamilton soundtrack came out and I heard Burn, I immediately said a prayer for every musical director across America who was going to have to listen to some white girl destroy that song at every audition that they held for the next two years. At every audition, and I always appreciate when I'm running an audition of any kind, if somebody comes in and does something weird. Like, does mm-hmm. some material that I'm not expecting. If you come in and you do a song from Dr. Horrible's sing-along blog, 
You yes. already have a giant step up over whoever came in and did the hottest number from the most recent song. You know what I mean? Actors, people. I agree. Try something Please. new. Please. I think you've done do more auditions than I have. I think I have you... done many auditions, yeah. I do a lot of theater in my downtime. or I, Not lately, but um, I do a lot of musical theater in my downtime. Most recently, I was in Into the Woods, and for that, I sang uh, Not a Day Goes By from... Oh, God. Something. Something Sondheim that nobody remembers. Merrily we roll along, maybe? Uh, that's wrong. But it's something Sondheim that not a lot of people saw that show. Lone so, Star? Definitely <laughs> not. Heck It's a bird at Peter's has a recording of it that's pretty popular. But uh, nobody knows the musical that it's from. And my other uh, option was a song from Evening Primrose, which is actually not even a musical. It's a musical television dramedy show about people who lived in a supermarket. So those are the songs that you should be singing at auditions because people will pay attention because they don't know the song and they want to hear it. Uh, before mm-hmm. they really start to judge your voice. So if you fuck up, they'll always give you the opportunity to do it again because they always want to hear the song again because they don't recognize the song. So that's they, a cheat that I've found out doing all these auditions over the and years. They haven't, and they haven't heard it 400 times. You know, exactly. find a weird monologue to do. If you find a monologue oh, yeah. you like in a popular play, but like follow, you know, you find a Martin McDonough monologue you like in like Beauty Queen of Lanon, like don't do that one. Go mm. to The Cripple of Inishman and find another one that you like. You know what I mean? <laughs> sure. Go go to their slightly lesser known pieces. Just give me uh, some deep cuts. That's what give, I'm really looking for. Give me something I haven't seen before. I will exactly. bring in a Deadwood monologue. Um, nice. And just do it in a completely different way than like Ian McShane would ever do it. And so it becomes unrecognizable. And so I'm not being judged against other like super famous versions of it. Right. Be bold. Do something yes, different. Yes. Which exactly. is what I wish... Andrew Lloyd Webber had done with the song <sighs> Memory in the musical Cats. Well, everything else about that musical is so wildly off kilter that maybe he needed to do this in order to bring some semblance of reality back to the stage. Like, hey, this is a Broadway musical. We're back in recognizable territory here. <laughs> I, that is the only reason I could possibly think for writing this fucking song. He grabs you and pulls you down from whatever trip you're on in the middle of Cats, whatever, like, fever dream you think you're in. And you're like, right, 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 right. I'm, I'm, I'm in a musical <laughs> I'm in a theater. theater show. I'm watching a Broadway. Right, 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 right. It's like when you're horribly sick and you just, like, put on the television. Oh and my God. maybe you're drifting in and out of, like daytime pbs and you're like what is this what's happening what is going on on these shows but i then, love like, when that happens but then sesame street comes on and you're like oh okay i understand what this is i <laughs> i'm alive right right right. i'm not trapped at sea i this is this is mr trapped rogers at i sea. know what this is Oh, that's such a good comparison. When I got my wisdom teeth out as a teenager, um, they gave me Percocet uh, as, like, recovery medication, which is, was a mistake and unnecessary because we live in America. And 
they don't understand how to medicate people when they have pain. But the first night, I remember I took the recommended dose and I was just watching TV with my family that night and they put on like some kids like Lego TV show. And I remember I thought that there was like a whole subplot happening and I was like so enraptured by it. I thought it was like two hours long. This was before the Lego movie came out. So I, this had to have been, like, a commercial for Legos. It could not have lasted more than 30 seconds. And I could have sworn it was, like, an epic film. And I talked to my mother about it the next day, and she was like, what in God's name is wrong with you? And that is what I think about when I think of the musical Cats, is that experience of being on an ungodly amount of pain medication, watching a cartoon, and thinking that it was just, like, the most epic film of all time. It was I think that that's what happened. It truly, to me, felt like an Indiana Jones movie. And um, I think that's what happened when some critics saw Cats, because they there are a lot of people who love this musical, and I just can't think of any other explanation <laughs> beyond just that fever dream. I don't know if there are a lot of people that love this musical. Oh, there are. That I have yet to... Listeners, if you are a diehard fan of Cats, write in. Can we get this pod at gmail.com? I want to talk to someone who's completely in the tank for Cats. Because I'm yet to find them. I'm finding a lot of wishy-washy. I'm finding a lot of, like, I like this part, I don't like this part. I want to meet a ravenous feral cat fan. I don't know if I'd call them a ravenous feral cat fan, but my aunt really likes this musical. Okay. She does not leave the house much, if that helps. I see. How many cats does she herself own? She does not own any cats. I do not think she could be responsible for a living being, but she is a fan of this musical. I think the VHS from my parents' house is hers. Gotcha. Okay. So, well, that, I don't know. It all connects. Yeah, it all it all comes together. So, why don't we uh why don't why don't we start listening to some memory and we can we'll stop periodically and we'll talk about what is happening. Oh man, I'm ready. So we're 30 seconds in, and I am completely lost. That is not even Grizabella singing. That is Jemima? (laughs) There is no one named Jemima in this show. You are kidding. I am on Genius.com for the original London cast of Cats, and I have here Jemima, like the syrup magnet, (laughs) singing this opening stanza why on earth is this her? Why is this not Grizabella? What is... Why? She never shows up again. Like, it's not like this is a duet. She doesn't introduce the cat that we're about to hear. We're just presented with this one stanza of a jump, a syrup bottle singing this song to me. I kind of 
think that a syrup bottle singing this song to me would make more sense, but I don't know. I have no idea what you're looking at on Genius.com, by the way, because I am also on it, and I think I'm in a different link than you. I am on the original London cast of Cats. 1981? Because I am as well. And the first thing I see is Midnight, Not a Sound from the Pavement. This is the only annotation in the entire song, and it says Midnight, so silent and quiet, and it has four downvotes. Womp, womp. (laughs) I do not think these are the correct lyrics. Um. What's also interesting to me about this London version is that uh, the version that I'm used to is not in this key. It does not start that high. That it's, sounds like it belongs in La Boheme. Yeah, that is an impossibly high... Right, because I am on... On Genius.com, there are like three different versions of memory. Right now, Excellent. you're on the most popular one. I am on... I'm just following the track list. Gotcha. Um, and this is according to... Because, again, you can go to the American version and get a different song. Found it. What Jemima. Is, what is go. the true... What is the actual cats? What are we... This is some kind of dreamlike. What is real? What is not? What... I feel gaslit by cats yet again. <laughs> I feel deeply gaslit by cats because I feel like there are so many minor differences between performances that could honestly alter the entire course of humanity as we know it based on these tiny, tiny differences, like the fact that there's a cat in this called Jemima, which I did not know until this very moment, and I am questioning my entire existence right now. She's not one of the more popular cats. She doesn't get a song. Nobody sings about how she tastes good on flapjacks. Like, it's really, it's 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 a damn shame. <laughs> It's a crime, it's a but she gets this impossibly high uh, stanza, so good for her, I guess. Yeah, because this is another, it's just, it's frustrating. Because you can get, you can go to the the London version or the Broadway version of, and we've litigated this on the show before, but of Gus the Theater Cat or of Bustopher Jones, and you can get a completely different song. Essentially, in its delivery, in its musical execution, mm-hmm. the same the same lyrics taken from T.S. Eliot's Old Possum's Book of Cats or whatever the fuck. But right. it's, it's... My, what a difference that makes. Whereas I feel like if you see a production of My Fair Lady anywhere, you're gonna get about the same thing. Of course, absolutely. I agree with that. You'll get different approximations of different British accents, but you will get... Well, that's get, okay. Right, but you will essentially get the same thing. I feel like if you see a production of Hamilton anywhere, you know, even when those rights go up and high schools mm. can put on Hamilton, I feel like you're going to get... that. Basically the same thing? You know what I mean? If, maybe but, slower. Maybe, yeah, right. They'll, they'll slow it down for... It. But, this, yeah, I feel but, like every version is just wildly, wildly different, and it's crazy. And depending um, on who you talk to or who you ask, you might they might have a completely different idea of cats. It's right. like when they had all those endings they for Clue the Movie. They might have a different movie. idea of the story. Yes! They might, they might have a different idea of, of what cats is at its core. I would really appreciate in this song if Tim Curry were to stop in the middle of it and just explain what was happening 
while running across the stage frantically like he does in Clue the movie. I feel like that would really improve this song. You see, Grizabella was a jellical cat, but she left. She left the group and ran away. That's, um... Oh my god, Tim, get out of here. Go, you're next. That was pretty good. Yeah, he's up. He's really mobile. I thought he was. I thought he was going through some hard times, but he's he's mm. trotting around on my recording end. I love That's to be impressive. a jellical cat. My favorite cat is Mister Mustafelis. Whose is it? Right? Her, I, I agree with you. Yeah, this is a, a very long. I don't know. Menacing jazz breakdown. It's really weird. This and this is present in every recording. This weird menacing jazz breakdown. There must be some stage business that happens. I hope you like this phrasing, because you're going to hear it again and again and again. About a hundred times. I hope you like um, it never changing. So, okay. something that really pisses me off about that stanza in particular is that it's relatively easy to sing note-wise and phrasing-wise. It is impossible to breathe normally. It is so There's... slow and so long that when you, as a singer, if you're trying to breathe the amount of breath that you need for these phrases without stopping for breath in awkward, awkward places... It is really damn hard, even though these notes are not that high, not that low. They're pretty simple, middle, mezzo-soprano register, which is why a lot of people are attracted to the song as an audition song. But the phrasing is repetitive, drags, and doesn't make sense. It's also languid. It's also so drawn out. Midnight, okay, time of day. Not a sound from the pavement. Got it. Everyone's asleep. Has the right. moon lost her memory? Now that is some shit. That's a that, real confusing line that, that we just breeze right past. That is exactly the kind of shit that makes high school teens like throw down poetry forever. They're like, what is this? What mm-hmm. is this shit? Has the moon lost her memory? She is smiling alone? <laughs> Girl, the, if you are seeing that what, the moon is smiling, what, you need you need help. What? It, yeah, she's strung out. Uh, in the lamplight, the withered leaves collect at my feet, and the wind begins to moan. Got it? You know, it's empty. It's one of those times, like, when you're reading The Grapes of Wrath, and you're like, I can probably skip the first three pages, because it basically just mm-hmm. says it's dusty. Uh, yep. Like, it reminds me of Hemingway. Uh in a way, I mean, without the beautiful prose, it's just repetitive, repetitive, repetitive. Oh my God, we get it. You're drunk. Please move on. <laughs> we know you forgot what you just wrote, but you could just you could just read it. You could just like, look up. You uh, can read it. I think the this song is successful and popular for the same reasons that Adele is successful and popular the difference being adele could blow this song out of the fucking water Absolutely. but the success of adele is that she has so perfectly captured 
the the songs that everyone can sing and can mm-hmm. sound pretty good doing it. So you can just howl it in your car or with your friends or at a concert. They're the most sing-alongable. You feel good singing these songs that has made Adele a multi, multi, multi-millionaire. Because right. she just perfectly captured that in a way that I don't think anybody else has. No, I don't think so either. Just absolutely knocked that out of the park. And that's basically her whole repertoire. But when you've got that repertoire, you don't need a second repertoire. No, you really don't. Because everybody already loves the first one. Just keep doing it. Just keep doing it. And they're all basically the same. And I don't care. They all just are so full of energy and life. Mm-hmm. Anyway. And it's the title of the song. There it is. I don't believe that. <laughs> Yeah, we we get it. You uh-huh. used to be hot, and now you're not, and you're mad about it. I would be too. I get it. It sucks. Aging sucks a lot. Yeah. I don't... So I think the instrumentation on this song is working actively against it. Agreed. Because this should be beautiful strings. It should be soulful piano, but the piano's going like... <laughs> it sounds like a circus yes, is going it, on. It's not working to in tandem with the singer because she's singing like a different song. She's it genuinely singing this sounds that way. Like she's about to just cry her heart out. And the piano is just like... It's maddening. It's It's so weird. It's like she was hired as a cabaret singer for the Jellicle Cats, and she just had a very different idea of what she wanted to sing. And, like, I don't know, let's say that Bustopher Jones is at the piano right now playing this song, and he's like, fucking no, what are you doing? And she's just having, like, a complete mental breakdown on stage. It's completely confusing. She's singing like the Ben Folds cover of Bitches Ain't Shit, but with the original rap backing. You know what oh, I mean? It's so weird. It's just it's... it just makes my skin crawl. And we're coming to my absolute least favorite part of the song. A non sequitur. I can't. And the street lamp gutters? This is a point of contention on Genius.com. On the other version I was looking at, there was a very angry comment saying, Guttering is a verb... And you all should know that. 
<laughs> so I wasn't going to bring that up. It's your butter biscuits and your <laughs> tallywhacker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We get it. You're British. It's just British nonsense. What really bothers me about this stanza is that um, she suddenly, like, basically all this stuff at the beginning is just this languid depression where she's like, I'm alone in the street and I'm ugly and I am on drugs and I hate my life. And then all of a sudden she's like, every street lap seems to be a fatalistic warning. And it feels like a complete shift. And then we return to the same shit again. It's like she has this moment of clarity where she's like, what's happening? I'm in a circus. Everything's weird and in minor key. And then all of a sudden she goes, daylight. And it makes no goddamn sense. She's singing, we're we're singing two songs at once here. Because on one track we have the uh, part of your world. And on the other track... We have the bells of Notre Dame, right? And, Which I'm and... way more interested in. If we had like <laughs> leaned into that, and she had been like, the street lamps are beating a fatalistic warning, and like she'd gotten real creepy with it, I would have been along for the ride. I would have been like, yes, take me through this crack fueled nightmare that you are living. Tell me all of it. And she just doesn't do it. She just goes back. And maybe that's, honestly, maybe that's the most heartbreaking part of all. Maybe I've just been missing that that's what Andrew Lloyd Webber wanted this whole time by writing the worst song ever. He just wanted to explain how depression just makes you numb and languid all the time, and you can't even enjoy a spooky moment. Riff raff. Street lamp, I don't <laughs> gutter that. Uh, just a little music. It's a different song. And we're back to the other song. We're back to like oh, the people up there. Oh my god! Oh, don't worry. We're about to get back to the bells of Notre Dame song. It's coming. I know. I'm ready. Tonight. So she's kind of getting hopeful now. Like, it's like, all right, we're coming around. We had a bad night, but it's coming. Is she being hopeful, or is she just explaining how time works? Musically, that is what it is telling me, is that she's coming around. You know what I mean? She's like, I've been down and out, but I'm coming back around. The hills are alive with the sound of music is what this particular instrumentation is telling me. This instrumentation goes on forever, and again, no dancing is happening here. She's just swaying just standing, on stage. Because Grizzly don't dance. Chilling. Cats don't dance. We are bored. We all saw Cats Don't Dance, the animated film. Now she's depressed again. Ugh. This is so low, too. This is fucking hard to see. This is contralto shit. It's river. We're just gonna blow through here. And then I do think this part slaps. This this is very good. Uh, And then it's over. 
and then what lovely ladies like what there are three songs going on. oh wait no four because then there's this outro which is like the show theme. There are four songs going on at the same time in this song. Who is the monster and who is the cat? Exactly. So what, what really pisses me off about the ending here is that she has this rousing moment at the end where she's like, touch me! And everybody loves that part, and I'm not going to try to sing it well. And, um... It is so fleeting and also so vulnerable and everything else in this song lyrically is so goddamn boring. She is literally just describing the transition from nighttime into daytime and then all of a sudden she's like, it's so easy to leave me and it is like so raw and like a lot of people when they're auditioning with this song will like scream it and like get crazy. I've seen people do it with tears in their eyes and I'm like, where's that emotion coming from? Because it's certainly not coming from this character. It makes no sense that she's this emotional all of a sudden at the end when she's literally just talking about the passage of nighttime into daytime. I do not understand where touching her is involved. Is she just, like, I guess it's just that the loneliness crushes her for, like, a millisecond and then she's fine? uh, The metaphor doesn't track. It needs to either be made... More clear because the beauty metaphor and the midnight darkness metaphor never intersect. They they cross oh. each other like a gene helix. You know what I mean? They like, like ships in the night. One yeah, one comes in, one comes out, then the other one, and then they keep they keep diving and rotating back and forth in a way that doesn't work. Does not, not come together as a, a complete work. It, I I am sorry, memory fans. It just doesn't make sense. It just doesn't. It should work. It's one of these times where Cats the Musical is kind of working against itself. It's it's dragging yeah. itself down. It's snatching defeat from the jaws of victory. Because we all, like, touch me is so right. good. Right, that's the best part of the song. It is it is good. And I get chills when it's done right by a singer. Right. Because it sounds good. It's a great combination of notes. And then it's over. It is so short and it just dies. It's like and I am left feeling so disappointed. Yeah, it's it's the it's the ball player who's having a shitty game hits the game winning three point buzzer beater and then immediately like falls on his face like directly after just like completely yeah. eats shit. It's for me. It's like when. It's like when you're masturbating and you're so goddamn close to having an orgasm and you're like, yes, it's happening, it's happening, it's happening, and then you think too much about it and then it doesn't happen. We got around to sex. It had to happen. Podcasts this is a horny is show extremely for sexual. horny people. Touch this me. This song is so sexual. So easy at to leave me. 
all alone with her memory of her days in the sun? I mean, come on. I also still kind of think Grizabella might have been a prostitute at one point. That seems to be such a common conception of her that either it's true or the stage language needs to be totally changed because they just have her reading as a prostitute. I think it's part of it is her costume because her costume is just like this raggedy shit but then she's got like this crazy clown makeup on at the same time which to me reminds me again of Les Mis with the lovely ladies stuff where they've got all the crazy rouge on their faces and like they've got nicer dresses in Les Mis but they are kind of tattered and ripped because they're poor um so I don't know to me that that's always been I've always just thought of Grizabella as being some kind of sexual character, and the other cats didn't like her because she fucked. Maybe that's maybe that's just a piece of the story that we don't know, you know? I think there's a lot of this story that lives in Andrew Lloyd Webber's brain that he has yet to introduce to the rest of the world. <laughs> there are missing... Um, there are pieces of it missing... <laughs> There are pieces of it missing, and there's a lot written in there that seems like he's got something that he's, like, trying to hint at, and we're like, bro, what are you talking about? No one understands what you're saying, you idiot! And he's just like, oh, it's all part of my plan, you'll see. But then the musical ends, and we don't see. Um, it's, it's, it's how I feel walking out of a David Lynch movie, where I'm like, I know that yeah. he knows what he was trying to do. I know mm-hmm. that he had an idea of what that movie was about. I don't. <laughs> I don't know. The thing about David Lynch, though, is that he'll own that assholery, and Andrew Lloyd Webber absolutely will not. He thinks of himself as an American classic. At least David Lynch knows that he's a weird asshole. Yeah. He he understands his place in the world, which is, of course, making weird club dance music as sung by David Lynch. Um, yes, sir. <clears throat> we've all heard it, and uh, audience, you're about to hear it at the end of this episode. Now, Kenny Lassiter, is there any thank you for joining me on this uh, journey through memory? A walk down memory you lane, most if welcome. you will. Oh, it happened. Uh, it was going to happen. It been sitting on it for eh, thirty minutes now. Now, is there anything? What would? Is there anything you want to tell the people about the the great listeners of podcasts, the litter? I have nothing going on right now for the litter. Uh, my husband is in a play. It is Barefoot in the Park, and he's delightful in it. So, if anybody is local to Independence, Missouri, come see it. Uh, the first two weekends of September. <laughs> uh, that's great. Um, and uh, you can join us here next time for what I think is going to be Mungo Jerry and Rumple Teaser. Uh, oh boy! Yes, one. Of, it's a it's a song in the musical Cats. Um, but until then, <sighs> gutter your street lamps, everyone. <laughs> Make get them guttered. Got it. Don't remember spay and neuter your cats. Gutter them street lamps.
This has been a Talkback Podcast.